Hey there, welcome to Podmass. Are you ready? Let's hang out. It's it's Podmass. Podmass is like the advent calendar of podcasting traditions that was started by some podcasters somewhere who recognized that during the holiday season there were a lot of people tuning in. This is mostly because we're traveling and dealing with family and other crap we don't want to deal with, but most recently because so many of us have been stuck at home with the pandemic. And so Modern Witch is joining the festivities this year by dropping an episode every day between Yule and the New Year. That's like 11 episodes of Modern Witch. And I don't know what it says about you that you're tuning in to a bunch of witches for holiday cheer, but whatever, it's cool. I mean, come on in, no judgment. Uh, again, it's, it's Podmas, and you're listening to the Modern Witch Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. What is that? It's a little bag made from the skin of a toad. Does it matter? She, she's tampering in dark-sided stuff. Yet in our own supremely rational time, there has been a dramatic rebirth of the ancient arts of witchcraft. You're listening to the Modern Witch Podcast with Devin Hunter. Well, hi there. Welcome back to the Modern Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Hunter, and it is my honor to be with you today in uh, what is probably a very cold day if you're here in the United States. And if not, if you're elsewhere, then you can shove your warm privilege up your wazoo. Um, but it is a cold day here. It's actually Christmas, uh, and if you don't celebrate Christmas, then that's totally chill too. Um, we are not, of course, Christian. However, we do take advantage of the fact that everybody else is, and uh, we've taken the day off, although I'm here in the studio. Um, and we're just chilling out playing video games and board games and eating leftovers. So I hope that you are doing the same thing. I hope that you are staying warm and that you get some sort of snuggles from a fur baby and maybe even a boop because everybody deserves a boop. All right. Uh, so once again, this is uh, the Modern Witch Podcast. My name is Devin Hunter, and we are now moving on to part two of a deep dive into Danielle Dion's book, Magical Mediumship. And it's pretty freaking amazing. So this is... A lot of content today so there's a lot to, that's going through because we're literally going through parts of her book and I did extract a bunch of stuff because there's so much content um, so there's no way are we actually like giving away all the secrets to the book but it's so hey you should totally go out and get this book there is a link in the show notes you should absolutely get this book you should absolutely be following Danielle I know so many of you follow me because of my mediumship and because of my work with the spirits and so I just want to say Danielle is is very similar and very adjacent uh, in, in that energy. And so if you like my stuff, you're going to like Danielle's stuff. And I think you should check it out because it's uh, totally worth it. And supporting another witchcraft author, of course, is a fantastic thing to do whenever you can. So go out there, support her and let her know that you heard her here on the Modern Witch podcast. And all of that would be amazing and great. But yeah, so basically you're getting a behind the scenes look at stuff that we do in the Modern Witch Patreon. And um, this is stuff that is usually exclusive to the Patreon, but I decided it's actually too good. Um, and it's the first time we got to do anything like this. We really dove into a book and got to chew on it with the author. And so I thought, you know what? I, I, it's, this is too good not to share. So here we are. We're sharing it. And I hope that you enjoy it. Again, Danielle Dion, fantastic. Um, so this is part two. And there is a little bit more that I'm going to share with you tomorrow. Um, so don't worry. But uh, again, this is there's no way I could share everything that we talked about with you. There's just no way. So you have to go get this book if you're if you're enjoying the topic. Um, you just do. And if not, then uh, I don't know why you wouldn't. 
there's something weird that is going on there and maybe you might want to get that checked out because Danielle is the shit. Okay, anyway, lots of love from all of us here at Modern Witch Studio and I hope that you're staying warm again if you're in a, a cold place and if you're if you're not cold, then I hope that you're naked running around doing naked things because it's warm and that's what warm weather is for. Nudity. Cold weather is for blanket forts and pajamas. So that's what I'm doing. Anyway, lots of love. Once again, you're listening to the Modern Witch Podcast. My name is Devin Hunter, and this is a deep dive with Danielle Dion into her incredible book, Magical Mediumship. We'll be right back after this flip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel that. I empathize. I'm here with you on the same train. We are going to the same place, girl. And so I feel you. (laughs) <laughs> okay. All right. Spirit guide. So oh, yay. we are, we're going to dive into, we're going to dive into, well, a bunch, actually, we're going to be talking mostly about partnering with the dead. And of course you're coming from a media or you're coming from a spiritualist perspective. And so you, your terminology, like even spirit guides, like the idea of what a spirit guide is, is a little different because of this uh, background that you have. And that's great. And I want to explore that with you. So when we start thinking of spirit guides, um, like, especially in relation to the way that I teach spirit guides, like spirit guides could be from anywhere. It could be anything like, it, blah, like it's, they're one of the most like nebulous kind of type of spirit to try to try like to point down and, and say, this is this type of being. Um, whereas like dead people, I go, oh, that's a dead person. But right. spirit guides, they're just, they could be anything. So when we think of spirit guides, and we're approaching this um, as a magical medium. What what do you think are? Let's just start off because you wrote a lot. There's this is a, one of my favorite chapters in the book. But what do you think are? Let's just to summarize a part of what you're talking about in the, in the chapter. What do you think are some of the uh, we'll say misconceptions about spirit guides? What are your pet peeves when it comes to spirit guides? <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't know if I'll eloquently articulate this, but I would agree with you. I'm on the same train again uh, with the idea of what a spirit guide can be and how you would work with spirit guides. It is really nebulous and uh, kind of all encompassing in some regards. When I was in the spiritualist church and really kind of in, in spiritualist land, they talk, they have different languages, you kind of pointed out, um, around kind of tradition, traditional spirit guides. So I wanted to acknowledge that because I think Again, I wrote this book with the mindset of, you know, hopefully bridging like the witchcraft community and sort of the the seekers that I had coming to my psychic and mediumship development groups from other paths, including, you know, spiritualism or new age. Um, And so these are often the kind of categories that um, I was exposed to. And I had some issues with, (laughs) like, I think the cultural guide is probably the one that um, is the most challenging. I think even in this time, you know, uh, it, it gets, it's, it gets a little iffy, um, where, you know, cause I don't want to discredit people's experiences. And I think spirit will show up to you in the way that you need it to. So, uh, right. But I mean, how awkward, <laughs> however, I mean, it's, it's like, what it's the, the, the ethnic guide, right. Was it's like, yes, the, yes. I put cultural yeah. guide, but it was introduced to me as the ethnic guide or even more so the yeah. Indian guide in many, in many. Yeah. So, yes. and it is interesting. Spiritualism totally. has such a fascination with like native Americans. So they're in England and they're like, hell yes, native Americans. And it's, so it's kind of funny that they like, look at that as, you know, um, oh, the exotic and like, oh, the spiritual Americans over there. Um, and so 
Yeah, so it is awkward. And I think it's even more awkward now. And I think I think maybe even how spirit would come to people in this day and age is shifting and changing. And that's certainly been my experience too, the way that I, and maybe it's because I'm working with different spirits, but it shifts, it changes. It's not consistent. Um, I would say for me, like uh, whether I'm working with a plant spirit, whether I'm working with kind of the energy of a, of a deity, you know, um, or if it's if it's one of these kind of guides. And for me, they didn't quite show up as neatly categorized. Um, I certainly had interesting experiences with like the gatekeeper guides. Um, and, you know, when I was kind of sitting in spiritualist development groups, I was trying to, you know, foster these relationships. Um, but some of them, you know, naturally fit, some of them didn't, some of them stuck around. A lot of them, you know, they were there for a short amount of time and uh, either maybe they've morphed into other forms that I've carried with me throughout my time, or, you know, that was our time together and that has, you know, ended. But yeah, the, um, I think the thing that has been, you know, uh, interesting, I think, is sitting in groups. I don't so much see, let's see, like we have like, uh, yeah, the doctor, teacher, guardian angels. I feel like we're, and it's, I, I guess what I want to say is it almost feels like there are um, waves of, of kind of how people report spirit guides. I don't know if you have that experience, Devin, where like for a long time it was like, oh, the angels are coming to me and like the form of, you know, like the humanoid angel look and, and maybe that's not everybody's idea of what an angel looks like or maybe that's not, you know, their their mythology. Right. Um, but right. That, a lot of people in groups would, you know, oh, the, this guide is coming to me as an angel and great, oh, awesome. So like, you know, foster whatever's showing up for you and working with it. Um, a lot of times it was the monk, uh, you know, the Tibetan monk or, uh, you know, the, the chief from the Native American tribe. Uh, so I think those are, you know, complicated, possibly problematic, but at the same time, I think that we need to kind of uh, allow spirit to take the form that uh, it shows up to us as and work with it and, and acknowledge too that that can transform um, and doesn't have to be so like stickler. I think for somebody analytically right. minded like me, I like to put things in boxes. So like I grew up having this experience with a guide that I called the blue guide, where it was really just sort of a sensing and feeling and a color associated with them. And they didn't take on like a humanoid form or, you know, a, a traditional uh, way we might, you know, perceive a spirit. And that's okay. So I think kind of however it shows up to you is unique to you. Work with what shows up is kind of the consistent message across the board for working with the dead, working with spirits. At the same time, you know, discernment, um, I think, is not necessarily, uh, you know, taken into consideration in, in the spiritualist world that I had kind of, um, you know, worked in. But I think just like with people, you want to, you know, feel out like is this a you know is can you foster a trust in relationship you know is this a partnership that you want to explore uh and you know it's okay to enforce boundaries it's okay to you know look at it as a contract in some ways sometimes i think we um get into that mindset or at least i've seen that in development groups being like oh the spirit's coming to me so like therefore i should do whatever it says or like i should you know like it's, it's taking up a lot of my time and that's, you know, for you to kind of establish what is going to work well for you, what is going to work with the spirit and how you kind of want to negotiate that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It totally does. So these seven types of, of spirit guides that are usually, I guess it, to me, it's just interesting because I have in my, you know, in my own personal practice, I think I have one time where I was really angry and upset. I might've written about this in the Butch's book, The Spirits, but I was really upset because the spirit guide I had been working with for a really long time just kind of went poof one day. Mm -hmm. And he was a really integral part of 
helping me with my mediumship, especially when I was working with clients. And so I was pissed and I, I felt totally abandoned and there was no warning and it was just very weird. And, um, and so I remember, you know, blah, 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 going through this whole process of trying to connect with spirit guides and um, realizing that I, I felt like I was hitting like a wall, like, cause I, I was just really trying to get a hold of this one particular guide. So one night I got pissed and I sat in my room and I lit a bunch of candles up and I grounded and centered and focused my energy. And I did this kind of makeshift invocation or the summoning, I said, I guess, essentially. And I basically said, any of my spirit guides that are here or that are, you know, if you're a spirit guide and you're supposed to be working with me, I need you to show the fuck up right now. <laughs> I am lost. I feel listless. I feel like you've put these things, these tasks for me to do, but you're giving me no help. And so if you want me to do this work, I need to know who my team is. I need to know who this group of people is. And there were seven spirits that showed up. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. And, and so I hadn't really looked at those that, you know, the traditional kind of uh, construct of the seven spirits and spiritualism. But as I was reading, this is one of the reasons I think this is one of my favorite chapters is so I was just reading, I went, holy shit, I didn't know there were like these seven. Yeah. I knew about like the ethnic guy. And I knew about that yep. <laughs> um, because that's just something everybody talks about, you know, but um, and I knew about the doctor and, you know, those things, but I, ha- I didn't really look at the rest of them. So this was a trip for me. You know, I, <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this is, this is, strange connection that I wasn't expecting, but there were these seven spirits that showed up and most of them I had not met or worked with previously. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, and they kind of come and go and I just got a reading from my psychic who is like my, you know, we all have that one person yes. we go to for readings. <laughs> blah, 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 yeah. And so I, I just got a reading with my psychic and she didn't know about these spirits at all. And one of them showed up in the reading and was like, Hey, it's time to focus on me. You've got mm. shit to do You're, you know, and I'm like, Oh, so it's just, this is a really trippy thing for me. And it's all, I guess, very, um, very, uh, present. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. So these, these seven guides, like, do you have seven guides? Do you, is this something that you feel we should work with. Cause for me, these things just were there, right? Like I yeah. didn't, and I'm not saying that as a, Oh, look at me. I'm, I'm saying I didn't have to go looking for it. And I would, but I have gone looking for spirits before, obviously. Um, but I, I, I didn't know, you know, I, that there's this school of thought that says, Oh, there's seven spirits or you should have these seven guides. How important is seven? How important is it to have a team? Like, what are your thoughts on, on specifically working with a team of spirit guides in that relation? Yeah, I think having a team is important. I think, you know, for me, I certainly don't just work with one spirit. I have a a group of spirits. And like you said, sometimes they come and sometimes they go. Sometimes that's very frustrating. You did write about that. So I I remember, or you shared it with me. Um, And that can be frustrating when you're like, where are you? Like, you have been so close. You have been such a confidant to me. And now you, you know, it feels like an abandonment sometimes. And sometimes there's a lesson in that I have found. and interestingly, in this year, that's sort of something that happened to me a little bit. But I think it doesn't, I don't think you have to fall into all these categories. I think for somebody starting out or somebody that wants to explore these categories, they are really, you know, helpful guides to seek out. I don't think it has to look any particular way. Um, so, you know, uh, for me, uh, 
like when I was sitting and doing gatekeeping, seeking out a gatekeeper, I was like really into this idea that I needed a spiritual bouncer, that I wanted somebody. And I was like, I'm going to have a gatekeeper. <laughs> um, and this was like early in my spiritual development days. And I remember sitting in group and I had this experience where I um, had somebody that I knew in life, which is not always the case. Like I, I do kind of, it is different to me, you know, spirit guide and the dead. I think they can, there can be crossover, but usually when I'm talking about spirit guides, they're more in the, you know, the abstract spirit um, uh, sense in some regards, because I talk about working with the ancestors a lot. So that is, that's kind of its own, I don't know. I distinguish them a little bit differently, but I could understand if you would lump them together. Um, but it was really like a profound experience with somebody that was very much like me in life and that, um, you know, ended up dying really abruptly. And so I felt like that was such a, a, a cool thing to have because basically she would come to me um, before I would get a connection for somebody else doing mediumship. And that's kind of the, the way that gatekeep, the gatekeeper was, um, you know, kind of proposed to me. So that was really awesome. Um, I think if you're doing mediumship, it's not a bad one to start with, but knowing that it doesn't have to look like that. I think a lot of people's exposure to mediumship, you know, um, you know, 30 years ago would have started with that in some regards uh, in, in spiritualist circles. Um, I don't think it has to be that way, but it might be something to explore. It might enhance. It might stick with you for a little while like it did me, and then it sort of moved away. It became more direct conversation. Um, but yeah, I think all of these could be meaningful. I, looking at them, uh, the one that I have had the most, you know, profound connection with, especially right now, is the master teacher guide. And uh, I always kind of you know, in different traditions, that was something that, you know, sit with and see who comes to you. And maybe it's an ascended master or a mighty dead. And uh, for me, it's been a really re-engaging re that master teacher this year, which I started to do before I got sick at the beginning of the year, kind of in tandem with um, like the W5 work that I've been doing with the Temple of Witchcraft their fifth year. Uh, it's been a, like this teacher for me has taken on the form of, you know, um, prominent occultist people, you know, spiritualists that I've had in mind that I really admire. And then it's morphed into people that are living. It's, it's taken many different forms. So I've been kind of enjoying, uh, enjoying the, you know, <laughs> different experience that I'm having connecting with this teacher and how it's teaching me in different forms of other people um, or, or presenting in other forms, which I know can be a little bit, uh, you, you wanna be cautious or careful about how you engage if spirits are, you know, uh, you know, showing up in one way, but this is how I've invited the spirit and I have a very specific way of engaging them. So if it does take on a different form, I'm not surprised at this point, I guess that's what I wanna say about that. But um, yeah, I yeah, think- I know, totally, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I also think that's something that's very unique I, don't, I can't say it's unique to us, but I think as witches, we tend to do a lot of work with shapeshifters, yeah. um, spirits that that change their form to teach us lessons. And that actually, you know, as far as sacred fires goes, mm -hmm. that's such a huge part of like the core beliefs, like, you know, system essentially is that these spirits are shapeshifters and they're going to come in these many forms to teach us many lessons. And the question really is, are we going to, you know, silence the the busy mind enough to, mm -hmm. to pay attention and learn? It's such a beautiful thing. I, uh, not to interrupt you. I just, that, no, that was like, uh, that was like, yeah. bazinga, bazinga. Yeah, you're totally right. Like, yes, my mind is kind of all over the place. And I feel like whenever I am talking about things, it's, it's not that I'm like forgetting pieces, but it's like, I tap into the things that like have been really important to me over time, but I'm like 
I don't know. It's such a weird place to live. My memory, I think I talked about this last time where like my memory is kind of funky. Um, and I think that's probably, you know, just because of the health stuff going on. And I've been assured that my mind will come back. Um, but it's funny to be in this place of, of kind of just noticing consistencies in many different threads of uh, uh, work that I do in partnerships with spirits and all of these things. So yeah, that's totally awesome. Well, no, I mean, that's... Fires. How could you, I mean, just doing what you do and I mean, you're involved in so many things and you, you're very well learned and, and, um, you're one of the, honestly, you're just, you're one of the smartest witches I know. And so I, I, I know for me, I'm constantly looking at things and making connections and I get lost in that. And so <laughs> I was merely, I'm just saying like, this is one of those things that I, I, for me as a, uh, as an author and as somebody who is, you know, teaching witchcraft, I think it's just so important to talk about that idea of the shapeshifter and yeah. it's not always a bad thing. Right. And sometimes right. our, especially those teacher guides, like those mm -hmm. uh, Moloch is a major shapeshifter. Yes. Um, so I feel that I, and I just totally resonate with that. And I think that there's something fun and neat and witchy there Yeah. Not to use the term witchy. So I do have a question about one of the types of spirit guides though. Yeah. Go Let's for start it. about guardian angel. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I think this is such a weird, I, it's such a weird term. And I know that it's being used differently from a spiritualist perspective than let's say an evangelical perspective. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. So, but I think it's really interesting because it's especially, especially, you know, we think of like the Holy guardian angel, that's a whole other mm -hmm. thing and, you know, ritual magic, very fascinated by all this. So let's talk about that. Cause I think that when people hear guardian angel, they are kind of turned off yeah. and I want to, I want to explore that with you. So what's up with guardian angels, Danielle? Yeah. Well, I will just come to the table saying that I was, um, surrounded by angel people to say it that way. And I had a really hard time with the concept of angels. Um, not many things I like have like a, a, not a revulsion to like, like I hit a wall with, or I feel like a, a friction and angels were one of those things, but I will have to say that sitting in groups, sitting with people, you know, um, that were very invested in the idea that everybody has a guardian angel or more than one. Um, and that, that is, you know, uh, that is part of an angelic order potentially. Um, and it has its own unique vibration and it feels different. Um, and then there's the idea of archangels and, you know, kind of other higher vibrational entities, right? Um, and so I kind of stopped my bitching and started to kind of sit uh, with these groups. And this was, you know, in my early twenties and I did experience, you know, really intense vibrational shifts, I guess is how I want to put it. Um, it felt different to me. I guess that's how I, I can best describe it. I didn't really experience things in the like super, you know, yay, here comes your, your, your guardian angel with its big wings. Um, you know, the way people would sort of describe them. But I did have experiences where I had, you know, like this sounds so silly, but like early on, I had a, I had this experience where I'm like, oh, I have a guardian angel named Paul. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so it was kind of like, I don't exactly know what to do with that box, but it was an experience that kind of happened. And I think that, you know, if that is working for you, that's the framework of how you are, you know, connecting to a guide that is, you know, got your back um, and you want to look at it in that, in that way. And that they really are there personally to kind of guide you and help you and are, you know, there in crisis for you, then, then more power to you for, you know, claiming it in this way or in, in this, you know, capacity. I don't necessarily feel like I have, you know, I don't necessarily work with the, like, this is my guardian angel kind of thing, but I do feel really close to certain ancestors. I do feel close with my spirit guides, like the, you know, particular ones that I feel like have been with me forever. And so the way that I hear other people describe this, that's kind of more my likeness um, to, I think, what they're experiencing. 
But I do think there is something to angelic, uh, you know, working with angels for sure. Um, just the way that I was kind of introduced to these, it does feel more spirit aspect than when, you know, you are doing, um, you know, an, an angel uh, evocation uh, or you are, you know, you when you're sitting and working with angelic forces, that feels very different than sort of uh, these experiences that I had early on. Is that, I don't know if that's answering the question, but. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that's spot on. That's, that's exactly what I was looking for. Good, good, good. So, yeah. um, yeah, because I think it's such an interesting, and I, you know, I was raised like half Pentecostal and half pagan, mm. very weird, mm -hmm. but, I, but my mom, my mother's side, you know, going to church, she was, well, she honestly was back and forth between Methodist and Pentecostal, which I don't even understand that now that I look back on it, but, <laughs> you know, but that was Wait, a lot of, I think because she was raised Methodist and then, you know, anyway, but there is this idea that you are not supposed to communicate with angels. You're not supposed to, you know, work with angels. Uh, it's, it's against the Bible. However, there is this term guardian angel that is thrown around all the fucking time. And they're like, oh, just pray to your guardian angel. We're not supposed to pray to the guardian angel. What is this shit? Right. So there's a lot of these contradictions. And I think that, that, you know, that just rooted in a lot of people's consciousness and to the point where, you know, oh, my, my, my puppy died and I know it's over in heaven as a guardian angel. Meh. You know, so there's right, just right. this weird, like lots of confusion around it. I just think it's a weird term. So. Yeah, but I hear you and I'm term. with you on that. My friends, when I had a um, little kid death, my mom was like, oh, they're your guardian angels. Like that's, uh, rah, rah, rah. and then I didn't see them in the clouds. So I was like, this is bullshit. But um, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, okay. So the last spirit guide I want to talk about, just because I think it's fascinating. Um, and it's something that I had never thought of doing. I don't know why, but I never thought of doing or trying to reach out and make friends with a spirit who could help me with this. Um, the chemist. I think yeah. this is fascinating. So let's talk about the chemist. So this is uh, to everyone who's just joining us or following along. We're talking about the archetypes, uh, the different kind of essentially like ar archetypical spirit guides that um, we can be working with in our personal lives. And so we're talking about the chemist and the chemist is a little different because the chemist has uh, information about our bodies. Can we talk a little bit about that particular guide and um, if maybe some hints or some, some tricks as to how to tune into that? Because I think this is really interesting. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. would be interested in knowing that there is a spirit guide who could help them with their health problems. Yeah. And I think it's, it's an interesting name because they call it the chemist and they have the doctor and that's more like that philosophical, you know, um, uh, guy that will help you with the, your outlook on life and, and kind of, you know, how things work in the world. But the chemist is really that idea. Um, exactly that, like, what do you need? How do you tune into your body? What, you know, what, what, um, you know, dietary changes when I've heard people talk about this, these experiences with them, often it's really focused on nutrition. So like, oh, my chemist, you know, or, or um, and sometimes the, the terminology goes back and forth. Like you may hear people say, oh, my doctor guide, um, and they mean it in this way. Um, but their, their chemist guide really kind of, you know, inspiring them to go on a vegetarian diet or, you know, to go off dairy for whatever reason. And maybe that sounds a little woo, but then looking at, you know, the health conditions that they had, um, you know, that actually might've made more sense for them. Like, like, um, which is like a good thing. So even though we may have, I guess I'm just thinking of one particular individual that maybe was not super keen on taking guidance from actual medical people, but was very into the spiritual. And I think this was a good compromise for sort of where they were likewise. Um, so yeah, I, and it's interesting because I don't really feel like I have a chemist guide that is, you know, defined like as a chemist guide for me right now. I think, I think back in the like when I was trying, I definitely have tried to explore all of these archetypes. And this was one of them that didn't really feel 
super necessary to me at the time, but I was also in my early twenties and like kicking ass and taking names. Now that I have, you know, like this fun and exciting autoimmune blood disorder, perhaps this is the guide for me to seek out right now. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of engage with, but, um, the other piece that I wanted to say too, was there is, I, well, I don't even bother for this conversation had come up around looking at guides like this and are they aspects of self or are they actual like external entities? And I think that's always, you know, a kind of ongoing thought exercise. That's where we're going to go next. Yeah, Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I feel like for me where I haven't had like, this is my chemist guide this year with everything I've had to do kind of on this healing journey, I kind of feel like I have this aspect of myself that I am listening and in tune with. And so therefore I kind of feel like this chemist is part of you know, my team, but is also part of my aspect of, you know, my, you know, holy guardian angel or that my wisest part of myself or, or a part of myself that I have access to, um, that really can help drive, you know, change or, or listening to what's needed. So there can be crossover. I think, yes, there can be external guides that come forward, but I think here is a good example where we might have these, you know, kind of within as well, um, and making sure that we listen to those parts of ourselves, um, kind of in almost the same way that we would engage spirit. Um, so it's not really that dissimilar. Um, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have been doing a lot of personal investigation into this probably for, mm. I want to say four or five years. And it was really, yeah. I would say after I wrote the witch's book of spirits, I went through what is can only be <laughs> described as the most intense psychic burnout I have ever experienced. And I think it had to do with channeling all the spirits that when they're in the back of the book and, and doing all mm -hmm. that stuff, but, oh my goodness, like I was numb. It was the weirdest kind of thing. And I still, I will say like, I don't feel as strong psychically now as I did before I wrote that book. Like I felt a little bit like a God sometimes, <laughs> like I was creepy accurate. I was creepy good. I was, you know, and now I find myself being a little bit more reserved with things. I find myself more. Uh, I'm not as quick to to say what's coming through. Like things have definitely shifted and my relationship to it has definitely shifted. Mm. Um, and to that end, it's made me really reflect on this idea of like, well, you know, I was going through personal depression and my spirits stopped talking a whole bunch. Is that related? For me, absolutely. That is related. Yeah. Why is that related? And so that started this whole thing of like, well, is this all in my head? Well, of course it's all in your head. Like, <laughs> right. there's no question. This is in your brain. This, none of this is like admissible to court. Like, right. <laughs> like let's be real. You know, there's no um, physical thing that we can hold and say, look at this, you know? So when it comes to this idea of entities and spirit guides, it, it's, really been a challenging kind of, of just kind of process, I think on my end, because I want really, you know, I want specific answers mm -hmm. because I know people are asking the same questions and I want to be able to give them answers. And it's difficult because, you know, like we talked about last time, um, this idea of, uh, you know, am I just tuning into, you know, an actual entity? We, we, we did go into this a little bit with the last discussion, but, um, with the spirit guide stuff, it's so tricky because you want to believe that there is an external thing that's guiding you, right? Mm -hmm. Like we all want that. I, I think that's a, a normal thing to not completely 1000% trust yourself, right? Like I think there's this thing that we're always going to have, I wish there was a little guide that I had. Fantastic, right? So spirit guides are great. But the flip side of that is that again, like in my case, you know, I noticed I got depressed, my spirits shut up. And so obviously there's a connection to that. And obviously where my mind was going was where my 
connection to spirit was going, which was a very interesting and kind of startling thing for me to, to become aware of. And so I, I've come to the conclusion that, um, these things, you know, these spirits are, I mean, cause we, first of all, we all know, I mean, I hate to say it cause it's going to sound super hokey, but we're all connected. Right. So, you know, we are all connected. And so I, and because of the, you know, my personal magical philosophy about us, essentially us being, um, molded and sculpted by, um, influences why we're being, you know, in the process of gestating. And by the time we're born, you get, you get this nice birth chart that says, Hey, you, you know, you're, you're this cocktail of this magical stuff. We can trace that. You can investigate that stuff. That's there's something weird and real about all of that. I don't think I've met one person who's actually had a birth chart done, sit down and say, no, that, that isn't creepy accurate in these areas that are really important to me. So I'm like, okay, so there's this evidence. There's this proof that we're all connected, that we're uh, sensitive to natural flows and cosmic energy. And these things are shaping and sculpting us. Why couldn't this, the, the spirit, my, we'll call him my imaginary friend, right? Like, why can't my imaginary friend also be part of that? And when you have instances, especially, and I, I often look to, to spiritualism for these examples, because there's such a, an emphasis that tends to be placed on physical uh, manifestations of things. And I know we right. talked a lot about that last time too. Um, <laughs> but I, so I look to, to spiritualism for answers of often for when it comes to this type of stuff of, you know, what is mediumship capable of? What are we able to do with this work? And you know, I mean, it's all circles back to this idea again, that it's all in your head, you know? And I, and so if it is, I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm I'm stumbling over my words at this point. If it is all in our head, that's okay. And it is okay because your head is where all of this information is coming from, right? Like that's where your, your psychic ability is. It's, I mean, hypothetically, you're processing it very mentally, um, and so why wouldn't these things be part of you? Why wouldn't these things be a very uniquely personal and spiritual thing? And maybe as you know, you talked about before, you know, with that, that shape-shifting spirit guide, maybe they're not going to come to you looking like, you know, an archangel with wings and, you know, archangels do not look like that to me at all, you know, and uh, most spirits don't look the way that I think a lot of, to me, the way that a lot of people describe them because it's all coming through my filter, right? So if you're a medium and you're tuned into this stuff, how do you, Danielle, this is, I'm, so I'm posing this question to you. How do you as a medium who is, obviously this stuff is, is something that you're naturally able to pick up and perceive and, and you've developed in your own time and your own practice, but how do you reconcile those things? Because we don't have evidence. We don't have proof. We have stories. We have, um, you know, a lot of things that I think can bring us comfort. But at the end of the day, how do you know this isn't all bullshit? And if it is all bullshit, how do you make peace with that? And this is something that I know I've written a lot about. I know that's something I talk a lot about my books, um, but I'm curious because this work is so deeply rooted in perception and it's so deeply rooted in processing what it is that we're perceiving. Is it okay that maybe these things aren't external from us? What does it mean if they're not external from us? This is a big question, I know. Um, but I know you've also chewed on this because you're a medium. So you've had to have thought about this because you've run into this shit. I know you have. So yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Like, let's let's just kind of dive into that. Because I think more than anything, the nature of spirits 
is something that a lot of occultists struggle with. A lot of us struggle with this, the idea of what they are, how they are part of our lives, all of this shit. And you've written a book about it. So I'm really wanting to pick your brain about this. What happens if it's all bullshit? And what does that mean about our, our, you know, the system of belief around we have spirit guides that can come in and take us, you know, to the next stage in our life and all of that fun stuff. Are we just holding on for hope? Is this all just bullshit? Are we just triggering some sort of uh, survival mechanism inside of us? And we're saying it's a spirit. What's going on here, Danielle? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, there's multiple layers to that. Um, so I think, first of all, it is hard from a spirit side of things, talking about spirit guides, these experiences that we have that don't have the evidential quality of some mediumship sessions, which my analytical brain likes to cling to. Um, so we can't prove it. We can't know. Uh, but I think that, and maybe, you know, maybe you would agree, or if, if other people have had experiences with spirit where they are guiding you that either we are completely delusional um, or that like they really are leaving breadcrumbs. Like for me, I consistently am looking for, you know, um, signs and, you know, what I can, you know, clo- what I can define as evidence in a mediumship session with somebody I think is one thing. So that I think has maybe made me have some peace with that. Like, okay, if this aspect of what I'm experiencing seems to like, I don't think that there's a, a another reason or, or way that we could get some of the information that comes through in these sessions. And um, I don't think it's, you know, tooting my own horn. I think everybody has this capability of doing it. But if you're sitting with somebody and you are saying, you know, the person's name and how they died and where it's where it's too, too beyond coincidental to be coincidental, right? Where, you know, I think in a good mediumship session, I'm hoping for 80 or 90 percent of that to be accurate. And if I'm understand, you know, if things are coming through in a certain way, even for me, that doesn't matter at all to the client or, you know, the person I'm sitting for, for me to understand how, like, if I did not get something correct, how it was shown to me and how, oh, I see how I could have, you know, fucked that up. But like, you brought that to me in a way that like, you were trying to get me to say X, Y, Z to this person. And that to me really helps, that helps me feel like, okay, like this is not just in my head. This is like something here is happening, whether it's in my brain, you know, maybe it's not a spirit. I could, I could almost, you know, you know, uh, theorize on this and I have theorized on it where what if, you know, there are no dead people. Maybe I'm just an exceptionally good psychic or other people that are doing mediumship are exceptionally good psychics. And we're pulling these names and we're pulling these experiences and we're pulling memories. That could be, but I just feel, I don't know. It's a feeling. It's the way you do this what I consider it, you know, to be real is because of how it shows up, because of how it's feeling, because of the human experience that's sort of instilled in it. So from a mediumship side, that's kind of how I reconcile it. You know, if it was a little bit more, if it was more vague and it was kind of, and, and I think those readings have its place too, where it's a little bit more free flowing or it's more channeled information. It's more of a transiting, which I'm very interested in, um, where it's not, you know, in that evidential mindset, that exchange can still be meaningful, even if it's not coming from spirit. So if I'm divine, you know, if I'm just inspired, and this is what comes through, even though I feel like there's another process here at hand, then I think there's still good that kind of comes out of it. Um, But yeah, I think that there is a potential, maybe it is all in our brain. Um, And maybe it is all, you know, somehow we have, have made ourselves to make all of this up. But I think, for me, looking at it, in my anical, you know, trying to appease the analytical side of me and the research method side of me, uh, I don't know. There's just too much there that really has led me to feel like this is true and accurate. Um, and, and that something here is true and external, um, at least in regards yeah. to the mediumship side of things. But I also think like we were talking about the idea of parts of self. Um, and I, I guess I, this year I've, I've done more of this than other years. So 
it's something to kind of ponder, but I have somebody who does IFS therapy, internal family systems, but there are other sort of processes that can, that are similar in mindset. The idea that we have all of these parts inside of us and that these parts can speak. Um, and, you know, maybe that is in the form that we would even consider like a spirit guide. So I have been doing a lot of work, you know, um, trying to process the, the medical trauma that I had um, in this idea of, you know, consoling a little girl. And so, yes, we can have the inner child aspect of us and all this, but really it is kind of like working with a spirit, but it is engaging a part of myself. Um, so I think there is also that at hand. So I think it's, it's kind of both, but um, yeah, I don't know if that, that answers the, the whole big question, but for me, that's kind of how I'm reconciling it. Oh, and the fact that things happen, like shit happens, like magic. I don't know. I, I think that um, I, I don't know if I don't say convinced, but like when you know, just even looking at this year, this particular year that my mind can focus on, magic is afoot. Like, I don't think that there is coincidence that I set foot on this, you know, um, initiatory path. Uh, and the week that I started, you know, the descent of the goddess is the week that I started getting, you know, autoimmune symptoms. And that the beginning of the first month, you know, uh, on Mother's Day, on my Jupiter, you know, re you know um, return date, you know, I have a stroke and find out I have this crazy rare blood disorder. Those things are too, it's too crazy. Like it's too out there. So for me, those are those nuggets. Those are those evidential things, the signs that kind of guide me, the connections that happen. I don't know. I reconcile it in that way that I think there's more to this than just, you know, coincidence and chance and uh, that it's all in our heads. Right. No, well, maybe I'm, we're I'm on gonna... God and we're causing it to happen, but that's still in our heads. So I don't know. That's the whole thing. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, I think that's what, you know, I mean, if yeah, you yeah. keep yeah. <laughs> asking why, right? Why, 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 why? It, you're going to end up, you know, kind of completing that full circle and coming back around to, yeah. <laughs> you know, the the matrix kind of thing. So I, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. I mean, it, it always leads to those classical, traditional, you know, just, I almost want to say religious questions, you know, those big, existential what's up who we are why are we here what are we capable you know those those things are there they're very human i think to, to ponder right. and i don't think we're ever going to have answers to them because i mean i really don't I, I i i even think about you know as as much as we have grown to become very technological and you know and i, I think our generation is probably the last generation who is at least for a while, who's going to be obsessed with technology to the point where mm. we like disconnect from nature. Yeah. It seems like the next generation, even the next generation of technology that's coming out is more about connecting humans back to a natural kind of flow of things. So I think, you know, people like us who were born in the eighties and, you know, lived in the nineties and the early two thousands and we're, we're getting old, but you know, <laughs> you have those moments where it's like, well, our whole life was always about, you know, seeing people get something new, seeing something, you know, mm -hmm. uh, obtaining the next thing. We need the new CD. We need the new shoes. We need the new whatever. And that is not really something that necessarily, you know, is part of the, the natural human experience. Right. And so mm -hmm. as we're moving forward and we're looking at all these disconnected parts and I don't even know how I got on to talking about shoes, but you know, I mean, moving <laughs> all these disconnected parts and shit, I think it's really interesting to, to just 
kind of realize that the again, you know, it flows back and forth. There's, the, I think, this next generation will end up being able to integrate spirituality into their lives in a, in a healthier way than what we were necessarily able to initially. Um, and I think it's this these kinds of discussions to be able to say, hey, I know this is crazy, but I really do notice this pattern in my life, and I notice this this you know this syncretic thing, and I have to investigate that. I have to find out why this happened because it doesn't make logical sense. And we are beings that want to make sense of things. So I think asking these questions and I think having these discussions so so fucking important because at the end of the day, at least for now, you're the one that has to answer the question for yourself because you know you have to be okay with it at the end of the day. So those are my thoughts. I will say to, yeah. to kind of back that up though, I had uh, this mo- years ago with Malik, I, cause I was starting to get, um, starting to ask these questions and I, and, and I remember um, uh, getting a message from, uh, you know, just giving a message to one of my clients. And then at the end of the day, asking myself like, oh, did this come from Moloch or was this from me? Like, I really couldn't tell if it was just psychic or not. So I started paying attention to it. And I came to the conclusion that it was me and that Moloch was just kind of this version of a, an aspect of myself that I was giving like sentience to essentially. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I had kind of talked myself into. And so I was like, okay, no, you need to quit giving the spirit all the credit and you need to take some credit for yourself. So I go into readings for, you know, the next couple of weeks with this attitude of, nope, it's coming from me. It's coming from me. It is not an external spirit. It is, you know, the Moloch is, it's just me. It's me. Everything was different. Messages weren't coming through as clear. Um, the messages that were coming through, I definitely had to use like backup tools, like tarot cards and things to help make sense of, um, there was a lot more of the, hold on, let me think about this, you know, in sessions and stuff like that. And it was, so there's something to it where when I took his agency away, the information changed the way that it was coming through changed. So I, so that also puts that question of, wait a minute, you know, if, if you put a, if you put a, um, a cage around them and you say this is this aspect of myself and only this aspect of myself then you do lose that weird divine you know cool thing that happens and so i don't know i just that's interesting interesting story just had to put it out there yeah Uh, okay so before we move on to other things we've been talking about guys for a healthy minute here um is there something that you feel like is a miss just a general misconception or that a, a block that we have we just don't need to have it when it comes to spirit guides um i think that's even that idea of feeling blocked i wrote about it here i didn't read what i said but um so many people i think there is a legit thing when something shifts and there is a change and potentially a spirit is you know not around you but i think a lot of times when people say they're blocked at least in the experiences that i've had um, it's kind of, you're, you're in your own way in a lot of regards. Uh, and so I feel like spirits are around us all of the time. And so if, if you are running into the idea that, oh my God, I'm blocked, I can't do any of this. Um, I would give yourself permission to dismiss that, uh, even if you, you know, don't full-heartedly believe that that is, you know, uh, the case, um, and try a different path to it, or, or, you know, try to engage in a different way, because I really do feel like we have access to them. They have access to us. And a lot of times it's us who gets in the way of that connection or communication or are dismissive of what's coming to us. So, um, yeah. And I think, you know, there are instances where things shift and change and that happens for sure. But if you're starting out and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I I can't do this. I can't do this. Or I can't feel them or I can't do this. um, 
shift the mindset on it and try it again because I think you know they are willing there is at least somebody there willing to help you um, whether you're engaging with one of these seven you know spiritualist type guides or you have another app you know a personal guide that you are wanting to connect with or you're seeking out a new guide uh, I think there are lots of different ways to make connections they're they're there for us <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah for me um they've always been there right like yeah. so I do that summoning to get everybody to show up and then I realize <laughs> oh shit right? They've, I don't even need you yet. And you're here, right? So there's, there's something to it. And I think that's where I got my whole, um, the exercise I, I taught people to do in workshops where I have them go back to a memory and a big thing in their life, and then kind of review that memory, looking for peace, people or things mm. that weren't there originally. Um, cause you just have those weird experiences. Like how the fuck do you explain this shit? So yeah. I'm with you, Danielle, <laughs> it is powerful. The mysteries are mystery. Uh, okay. <laughs> So uh, let's, I'm trying to figure out how I kind of want to sum up your book because there's a, there's so much here, but a lot of it too is you're really good at giving resources and correspondences. So there's, um, you know, we start, we're going to talk about the working with the spirit or gods, rather gods of the dead, deities of the dead. And you do a lot of, you list, you've got a, a bunch of spirits listed. You've also done uh, your homework uh, when it comes to how to approach these spirits. So I want to talk about just three types of spirits, even though there are three of these gods, um, even though you have a huge amount listed here. So everybody, if you're, you know, if you're wondering, about this. Danielle has a lot in this. It is a chapter. I am just going to pick, pick three examples and I want to talk about them because these are spirits that are gods, deities that are part of uh, modern magical culture in a big way and it's hard to get around them. Um, and they are, um, I think, often um, misunderstood from the perspective of approachability. Okay. Mm, so, yes. Danielle, if you are ready, sure. Um, I'd like to talk, let's first about Santa Muerte. Um, because since she's how you start the book off <laughs> or start this chapter <laughs> off. Um, and I know that you have a relationship with Santa Muerte. Um, and so this has been really interesting to watch this as a cultural thing happen. Of course, now I'm in California, so we have a very big, um, Latin and Mexican population. And of course, uh, Santa Muerte, um, came up through the folk traditions, um, that are native to Mexico. And you can correct me if I'm saying anything wrong here. Um, and so visions of, or images of Santa Muerte are everywhere here. I cannot go down the street without seeing a Santa Muerte. I'm chill with it. Santa Muerte and I are very cool. I was very nervous myself about, um, having a relationship with this, with this deity, because I am a white guy with a big mm -hmm. red beard and, you know, all of those things, but living here, I, um, was very quickly, uh, educated that that's not what it's about. Um, and that, uh, there, there's a very beautiful world when it comes to Santa Muerte, her followers, different schools of fellowship. I mean, fellowship underneath, you know, the spirit, there's, this is a really big spirit. This is a big uh, energy for a lot of people. And I have to say is indigenous to our continent. Right. Like mm -hmm. this is a spirit that is from here. It isn't a spirit that necessarily came from Europe and it was transported over. This is an indigenous spirit that manifested itself in a more modern contemporary group of people. And I think it's fascinating. I think it's it's so beautiful. So that's my rambly spiel about Santa Muerte. But I want to know from your perspective, first of all, how did you get started with your relationship with Santa Muerte? Let's let's start with that. And how do you or how have you found um, ethnicity 
as a thing? Has it been a thing for you? Is it not a thing for you? This is, you know, I'm, we don't, we're not talking about racism. I don't care about that shit, but I want to care about right now is us feeling like we can approach a spirit, like that we have the right to approach a spirit or that the spirit would even be welcoming to us. Right. And you wrote a lot about Santa Muerte. And this is one of those spirits that online, there's a lot of, we'll just say contingent. Mm-hmm. So I want to know your thoughts on Santa Muerte, how it got started and, and, you know, accessibility. Yeah. So, and again, I think that it's important to, you know, hear all voices. Uh, I'll share my experience with her. Um, but she, she is kind of her own phenomena, like you were saying, where she has a big cult following. And I think when we look at, you know, it's growing and growing in number. Um, and I think when we have those, you know, whether they're folk saints or spirits or however you want to define them, or you can define them, uh, they're becoming popular because they are effective, right? They are, you know, showing up for people. She is showing herself to people, um, you know, whether it's in, you know, like the people that are open to this or not, uh, this is a growing, you know, thing that, that is showing up um, societally, not just in the United States, it's, it's, it's global with her at this point. Um, and so I didn't have a whole lot of reservations. I wanted to learn about her. I wanted to be, um, you know, respectful of her roots. And again, we're not even, you know, exactly sure of her roots. We know there's obviously Mexican, uh, you know, folk saint here that is not a canonized saint, um, as, as a lot of folk saints aren't. Uh, but I started to have, you know, dreams or visions or just sort of seeing and becoming aware of, uh, you know, a hooded skeletal figure. And I thought that was kind of cool, but I didn't really know what it was. And when I found out, like when I heard, like, Santa Morte and that she is holy death. It like shook me. Um, and I was like, this, this is, I feel so connected to this, like out of the gate. And I was like, I don't know, this is probably like 2013. And so I was, you know, I had my sort of, <laughs> I had my kind of set way of working with spirits and, and, you know, the dead. And, uh, I was kind of opening new horizons. I was into a lot of folk. Actually, I was into folk magic. That's kind of, that was when I found her, uh, or like heard there was a name for her. So for me, uh, I was under, like how it was introduced to me was that, you know, she kind of picks the people that she wants to work with. And I think that's kind of true, but I think the more that we know her, if you have a draw to her, I don't think you have to have a dream about her to work with her. But I think if you have a fascination with her, if you look at her and then for some reason something moves you, um, there may be some kind of connection there. And so with her, uh, there are systems, but it's not really like a closed system. There's different ways that people, uh, at least how I've been exposed to it, uh, have different ways of working with her robes, different ways of kind of honoring her, doing devotional practices. There's, um, you know, the Catholic chaplets and, and you know, uh, uh, services that you can do very much in the uh, Catholicism vein, doing the rosary to her. Um, and then there's, you know, more broad uh, kind of aspects of her, like the seven robe system where, you know, she has seven different colors that she works with um, and they each represent a specific thing. So there's different, lots of people practice in different ways. For me, it was always very individualized because I didn't really know anybody else kind of working with her. So that was kind of out of the gate. Um, More uh, on the online community is kind of where I started to learn more about her. Um, And so I don't know if people are familiar with Andrew Chestnut, but he wrote Devoted to Death. He is kind of an anthropologist um, and started studying the phenomena of Santa Morte. And he actually, the group, if you are into Facebook groups, um, it's, I think it's just devoted to death. I think that's what it's called. Uh, so that's a, a good resource to check out where people, where he will post interesting kind of, uh, not prompts, but just um, references to her in culture, uh, kind of, you know, 
up uh, anything that's kind of newsworthy that shows up around Santa Muerte, he's really um, on. And so he kind of moved from that like anthropological kind of mindset to being like, okay, this is something you know really unique and really interesting. So um, he has a book. He has also um, different, I think, videos that you can check out. He's a really good you know initial resource, just kind of looking at the phenomenon of her. But uh, yeah, I think from an accessible perspective, I didn't have too much reservation about working with her because I just felt such a distinct pull and almost like claim from her. And her whole deal is that she turns no one away. And that's an interesting theme when we look at some of, you know, uh, some other <laughs> deities that, that gain popularity. Um, so she is, uh, you know, she is holy death. She touches the mortal realm. Anything that life touches, death has a hand over as well. So she can impact that realm of, of uh, you know, anything that a mortal cares about, she has influence over, is the sort of, uh, you know, concept with her. And um, also that death comes for us all. So she therefore serves all, but she especially has, you know, a love for those that feel outcast or downtrodden. Um, she will evil, you know, equal the playing field. Uh, she sees everybody equally, but that's, that's, that's the whole thing too. So um, she's very prominent in the, you know, um, LGBTQ communities. She is, uh, you know, <laughs> she gets a bad rap because, you know, um, people in the drug cartels uh, have a connection to her. Um, you know, uh, she is very prominent in prisons. Uh, and it's, again, that mindset that no matter what you do, she cares for all um, and she can have a relationship with you. Um, so, yeah, so I kind of, you know, started working with her, uh, you know, working with her at an altar and just our connection was really, really intense. And it still is. She's, you know, the most prominent spirit uh, that I work with, I would say. Um, you know, she sits at the top of my ancestral altar. So again, you can have, you know, um, some people don't like to mix the ancestors and, you know, deities. I put Santa Morte at the top because she is my top. She is number one. Uh, I venerate her above all. Um, and so she oversees death so that the um, ancestors are, are surrounding her um, on the altar. So um, yeah, she has just been very visceral, very um, direct in how she wants me to work with her. It's evolved since uh, the beginning, but I owe a lot of the miracles and successes in my life to her. And I feel like she had a strong hand to play in this book, but also just in, you know, when I was working in the hospital world, uh, I don't know, she, I had like, I did a, I don't, I don't need to ramble on about her, but I, I could say so many wonderful things about her and that, uh, you know, working with her, the miracles that have been bestowed upon me in my life have been really amazing. And I just very much, uh, revere her and love her and uh yeah she's my number one I guess <laughs> yeah well praise Santa Marte. absolutely yes. uh okay so how about Archangel Michael and this is interesting because I think a lot of people do not associate Archangel Michael with death yeah and so let's talk about that yeah, well, he has the, he's got lots of roles, um, but one of the roles that he is, uh, you know, acknowledged for is the uh, um, ability to be a psychopomp. So he can go between the worlds, he can, you know, bring the dead um, and is there, you know, is there to be called upon in protection um, of your mortality. So if you are ever in a situation where you are in fear for your life or, you know, just protection in general, he's kind of the patron saint of that. Um, he is there, but then he also has this um, connection to the dead in the way that uh, will care for your dead, will ensure passage for your dead, and and has that that aspect associated. So I think he is a good general, you know, and and I think we can sum these as some deities of the dead, but they 
just be, just like the idea that um, there's connections with death, there's the connection with living because that is you know two sides of the same coin. So his influence over um, like life and and you know um, our our well being life side of things is also the same in you know preventing death or when we die um, having safe passage. All right, that, I can jump. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. That, I mean, I'm not Catholic, so. You know, yeah. my relationship to Archangel Michael is very, uh, very occult. And, and more so, in the folk yeah. saint, um, like, way of looking at him, too. That's, that's a, mm. um, more of a, uh, there's more connotation there, too, I would say. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think, no, that makes sense. I feel like my, like, evolution of working with Michael and, like, the many faces that Michael wears is, like, I don't know, if other people have worked with him. The way that I was introduced to him to the way that I perceive him now has changed drastically, talking about shapeshifters. <laughs> um, and so maybe that's just the way that I have engaged him or the way that I perceive him. But it is, um, I don't know, I just feel like he is a big, big energy to work with. He is somebody who, if you are working with Santa Muerte, often you want to partner with Archangel Michael because she is a very hot um, uh, and impassioned spirit, I might say. And so uh, he is there to kind of protect um, against extreme things if, if she is, you know, uh, being extreme in her, you know, love for you or your situation or, you know, uh, it, it's not a bad thing to kind of have that as a, a protector spirit, um, which I definitely did, you know, uh, for many years on my altar have uh, Archangel Michael next to her. Uh, but when I incorporated more of the uh, my ancestor altar in the way that it's set up now with Santa Muerte, Archangel Michael sits in another part of the room. So you can play with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. And now let's talk about Hakate. Um, yeah. I think Hakate tends to be, oh, Hakate. Uh, Hakate <laughs> tends to be the one like goddess that like just about every witch is just obsessed with. Um, and I know why, because she's pretty awesome, but there's, yeah. there's a lot there and she is classically associated with the underworld. So it's not that much of a leap, but what would you, or, or what is your insight about, uh, working with Hakate as a, as a deity to help understand death or help to, to work, you know, with that kind of part of the process? Cause we all get, you know, Hey, she's an underworld goddess. She is, you know, holy death in her own way, but she's also uniquely rooted into uh, pagan spirituality in a very, very special way. Um, and so I find that, you know, that relationship that's there that offered, you know, Santa Muerte has the same thing with her followers. Archangel Michael's going to have the same thing with his followers. Hakate has this really ancient history. Yeah. Um, and I find that to be uh, just fascinating. I find it to be fascinating that this ancient goddess is still alive and kicking and doing all this stuff all, you know, in the year 2021. Um, and, you know, part of it, of course, again, this is this love of her from many, many witches. Um, but my experiences with her have not necessarily been about death. So I don't feel like, um, I don't feel like I'm the guy to talk about it. I, I've worked with her to help communicate with, with spirits of the dead, like that's happened, but I haven't really worked with her as like a death deity. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm kind of, you know, out of left field here. I, I'm not, I'm out of my depth. Um, so I'm going to turn this over to you working with Akate as that, that death deity. What's the, what's that about? Like, and is there any sort of, um, I don't want to, how do I, how do I put it? What's the word I'm looking for? Like help. Like, is, is it helpful to work with, with her as a death deity? Are we getting anything out of it other than just spooky feelings? Like what's, what's, what's your thoughts on, on 
really having an actual serious relationship with this deity. Yeah, I think this is funny because I'm hearkening back to a, a trip many years, not many years ago, but some years ago with Matt and like arguing with him uh, about like, is Hecate and Santa Morte the same? And I don't think they are, but I think there's a lot of similarities and I think we that could, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but I think that uh, one of the things I have pondered in, when I think about working with Santa Morte and I think about working with Akate is not that it's like little D, big D, but oh, sounds bad. Um, <laughs> like Santa Morte is so engaged in the human experience in the way that I've interacted with her. So this is my perception of how she is so close to the human realm. I feel like Hakate has that as well, but she is so grand. She is so vast. Um, and so, yes, she has all of these aspects and intricacies to her, but um, I feel her in this sort of grand presence of connection to the underworld that we will die kind of as that mortal being. She is, you know, that soul of the world. She is that connection to all that ever was and ever will be. Um, so I guess I kind of feel her in that she is if you are seeking the mysteries of death, she is a really good um, energy spirit to seek out um, and to commune with over that. Um, I would also say that she, uh, from, a, from a more personal perspective, so not countering what I just said, but that's been something that I have chewed on and mulled over a little bit. I also find her to be really um, beneficial. And this is not just my experience. I think this is from when I have talked to people who are very um, into Hakate about their experiences with death, that she is the consoler of grief in many aspects. And I think that, you know, other death deities would serve that as well. But I think devotees of her that have that strong, um, you know, deep connection to her, she really uh, is there in your grief and she sees your grief and she sits with you in that. And she has that kind of aspect of like, you know, um, the midwife and also, you know, the one that, that that is there when you are coming in and she is there when you are going out and, and you know, this can be applicable to other death deities, but I think she has such a really rich connection in that way that she, again, doesn't turn anyone away. She is part of this experience. She is very deeply connected to it, but at the same time, she is also disconnected and vast. Um, so she just has a really rich depth connection to the dead, or not even dead, but I, I would say death as, as a mystery, as a uh, you know, something that we will all experience, something that has happened, you know, forever and before and ever forward. So um, thinking of that liminality too, in the in-between places, she's really uh, beneficial to seek out, you know, counsel or um, the mysteries in regards to those things. And so I don't know, I, I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say, you know, big death with capital D in some aspects that she has reign over that, that not because she's not the personification of death, but she just has that like outside of it all, all knowing um, capacity is, is how I've sort of felt and engaged with her in a couple, uh, you know, situations around that. But then um, the thing that sticks out to me too is, is the being held in grief, especially with grief around children too. Um, that's the situation that I'm thinking of. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm okay. I feel that. Um, so in the interest of saving time, um, I, I, I your ne the next <laughs> chapter is the, no, I mean, there's just so much to talk about, right? It's, it's, uh, and I'm asking you all kinds of questions that, you know, aren't necessarily something that you wrote about. So I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm asking you for a lot right now. Um, but, uh, okay. So I, the next chapter, chapter 13, um, focuses on, on plants and, and plant spirits. 
Um, and there it's it's very referential so people can go through and, and find different plants and, and how to work with them for magical mediumship you include recipes which are great um is there a particular plant that you have a an affinity with when it comes to working with the dead lots of affinities um what would i say sort of number one i don't know mullen is coming to mind um certainly i love the banes so like banes are sexy banes everybody you know loves i love datora um i love mandrake i love working with mandrake i have a mandrake that is um, near and dear to me and large and in charge um and i love that there is you know that connection to sex and death and life and and i love to dream with a mandrake but i think I would maybe say, uh, if people are less familiar with mullen, that mullen is a beautiful herb for connecting with the dead. Uh, it has history around, um, like I've made like hag tapers is, is one word they can call it, but they've been used as funeral torches. You can, um, uh, the, I, the mullen is actually a great plant for clairaudience. So if you're wanting to hear the dead, whether that be in ritual kind of context or in a mediumship capacity, um, mullen has the shape and, and kind of, you know, the doctrine of signatures, it looks kind of like an ear. And so it has an affinity for, you know, ear infections and working with people and, um, you know, from a healing perspective in that regard. But I find that it is um, a really great gateway spirit to uh, connecting with the dead. So if you just want to use it for general mediumship, wonderful. If you want to seek out the mighty dead, I feel like it has a connection to that sort of first wish, witch sorceress sorcerer sorceress um it, it just is a potent magical really strong ally um and if you're seeking to i don't know i don't want to say explore uh my use around it has really been around uh like the idea of the sorcerer and so uh what do i say with it mm. I mean, I, that, you could say just that. That's fine. Where do I go with this? Uh, I would just say that it is like a, a one that maybe is not always thought of that is a really beneficial buddy if you are trying to get into any aspect of mediumship or working with the dead. It has a good rich history. It grows prolifically here. I don't know about where you are, um, if mullein is something that's around in California, but here it's it's considered a weed, but they're these big giant phallic stalks with these big leafy um like big, big leafy leaves and uh there's yeah. there's two types there's one that is just sort of one stalk but then there's uh greek mullen which has it almost looks like a candelabra and so you can um do things with those uh, dipping them in towel or different um like <laughs> i've used fat uh but you can use different um you know like wax or whatnot and you can actually make candles to light um and that is a great offering for the dead to commune with the dead to seek out um to seek out spirits in general love it love it uh, okay, and uh, kind of the same thing goes for the next chapter, which is about um, working with uh, spirits of bone and uh, stone. And so are there what I would say, let's same kind of idea. What are what's like, what's a stone that you really feel is connected to mediumship and uh, we should look at and the same goes for uh, a bone. So what would be like an animal uh, guide or that we can be working with when it comes to mediumship? What, are, is there like one that sticks out? I know it's so hard, but yeah, I know you're the stone person right now too. I really love angelite. Like that was sort of one of my first really early on ways to connect with spirit guides, ways to connect with the dead. I love angelite. Um, and so, uh, for so much so that like for like years and years, I had angelite always on me, like in my bra. Um, so that I think is a good friendly stone to start with. Um, if you are wanting to kind of connect in mediumship wise or in spirit communication, 
Um, but I would also think about uh, ancestrally things that, so, so almost like fossils, so like ammonite um, or petrified wood are really good for, uh, you know, connecting with the idea of death and with the dead. Uh, so those, those kind of stick out to me as good options to start exploring that are a little bit more, you know, specific to, to mediumship from the dead. Love it. Love it. Okay, perfect. So um, for me, as I'm, this book is seriously, guys, I mean, I, I know you are all, if you're here listening, you have a copy of it right now, because we're doing this for book club, but I am uh, just in love with this book. I really, truly am. And it's something I uh-huh. wish I would have had when I was like starting out because there's, it's just, it's all like, it, it's vital information that this is the shit you need to know. You don't need to know all this other crap, you know, it, because a lot of the topic, and you know this because you've read all the books, just like I have you know, when it comes to mediumship, so much stuff is like experiential. Like it's this person going on for four chapters yeah. about, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, but you're not teaching me anything. You're not teaching me how to get a handle on this. You're just talking about yourself. And so it gets really, really draining. And I think when, uh, to the point where just as a genre, the p- books in this category yes. don't usually have a good reputation, yes. but this is different. <laughs> this is just different. The, there's so much information. There's so many exercises and tools. And I mean, folks, seriously, this is phenomenal. Um, yes. So I'm and just trying to get my head around too. Because I got sick of being like, great, I heard, you know, yeah, you did this thing, you did this thing, but like, how do I do it? <laughs> um, yeah, so, and, it's, yeah. and it's different for, it's really weird because I get the opposite feedback about witchcraft books. So people want to hear the stories yeah. and witchcraft books because it's magic and it's, you know, how is magic real for you? But when it comes to this mediumship stuff, unless you're just in it to <laughs> have a story told, it's, it's very different. So it's just, you yeah. know, in writing a book that bridges both of those worlds is not easy. So I commend you. It's very, very well done. Um, Okay. So the next chapter talks about divination with the dead. And this is like, that's intense. There's a lot going on with this one. So I'm going to say just for the sake of, because I really want to dive into something else later on, but that's in the book. So for, for this particular chapter, chapter 15 with divination with the uh, divination with the dead, um, if you could summarize, if you could summarize the entire chapter in one sentence, what would happen? Right. Like, um, if there okay. was one <laughs> practice that you feel mediums can just add to what they're doing already to help clarify, um, you know, the messages messages they're getting, um, make sure that you know they they can really retrieve that information and you know give it to their clients in the way that it needs to be done is there a tool that you use with divination that helps with that that you'd recommend yes Yes. i think having a divination system uh, specifically devoted to working with the dead um so first of all like that can be your dead uh and so like like back to the idea of spirit guides um you know like we had kind of that idea of a gatekeeper somebody that you can kind of connect with um to be your sort of spiritual bouncer and like double checker I like to think about my divination systems that are connected to my ancestors, my healthy, well, beloved, adjusted dead that I want to work with. If I need like a, you know, on the fly answer, or I need something that's really direct. Um, I use that very often with myself. Um, I will sometimes use it with clients. Um, but I would say that was, that's so beneficial to me. Like it's, it's, it's a check for me to get out of my own head. I, so, and my key to it too, like I work with, um, with shells, but you could work with, you know, uh, you could work with a pendulum. I kind of like things that are black and white, like casting of lots is really uh, appealing to me. And so I like to do bone divination, but just in a specific kind of yes, no system shells work really great for me, but you might 
um, use dice is a cool way to, um, you know, uh, distinguish specific patterns. You can say yes or no with, um, like if it's odd or even, that's, that's one way to go about it. I like to use cowrie shells. That was taught to me um, in sort of the sense of folk magic. Uh, and it's when they face, so yeah, basically, I think I talk about it in here. I think I wrote about it. I did. Um, so it, it, it's in the book, but basically finding, a, like, I always ask the ancestors if I'm going to, you know, um, need a, an answer, will you answer a question? Will you work with me on this specific issue for this specific topic? I have to get a yes. Um, it can't be like a hell no out of the gate. If it's maybe, I have to rephrase it. I only ask uh, if I get the the clear, you know, go ahead with this, the way you, you know, really thought about it. And it's not just like, um, you know, stupidly like something. I don't want to bother them for something stupid. I want to make sure that they give me their blessing to ask about it. And then I ask on it and, uh, you know, really taking those answers, they have been very true for me. Um, so that divination system feels really, um, I don't know, it, it feels like it works very well for me. So finding something for you that works in a way that is, you know, yes, no answers, but maybe even a little bit more is very helpful. Yeah, and it keeps it clean too, and that's yes. very important. Less less mud to worry about, the better. Yes. Uh, okay, so um, the next chapter is ancestral magic and healing, and we did go into a very big discussion in the last uh, time we got together last week um, about ancestors and working with them. But I do want to rehash some of those things real quick. Um, I'm trying. I'm rushing towards the the fourth part because I want to spend <laughs> yeah. more time on that. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So when it comes to ancestors, goodness gracious, this is just an ongoing discussion everywhere, especially if you're, you know, part of TikTok or you're part of uh, YouTube This is often talked about. This is something that I think a lot of people love, but also struggle with, um, for many reasons. I mean, you know, part of it is some of our ancestors are dicks yep. and, um, you know, and the, the other thing too, especially as a white person, this is something we've talked a lot about in private discussions, just this idea of like, if you're a white person in America, chances are you were part of a system, you know, your ancestors were actively engaging in a system that is not good and it was not good. And it's led to all of these other things. So a lot of people I know just don't even want to go there. Like they just don't, it skeeves them out. They don't care about that person. They never met that person in their life. It, you never heard about them, you know? So you, you start to do your research and you find out that your ancestors were maybe part of the slave trade, or maybe they were part of um, human ex exploitation in another way. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can come up and you just don't want to go there. And it's, you know, it's not your job to go there necessarily, but there tends to be this over- amplification of the importance of ancestral work, I feel, in a in the ways that tend to be the more destructive, the more painful for us to process. And I feel like it turns into like online, it's just a lot of flagellation. It's a lot mm -hmm. of people just putting themselves through uncomfortable situations because they feel like they have to deal with this stuff. Right. Um, they're obligated to because of, you know, it's magic or it's the occult and so on and so forth. And I just don't see the rewards often with people. So my question to you is, is like, again, you know, listen to the last uh, recording. We went through a lot with ancestors and picking the right, you know, which ones you can work with and which ones you, know, you don't have to work with that kind of thing. But what I want to know from you is, um, when it comes to this ancestor stuff, how do you have a practice with it that you're actually getting something out of? And it isn't just you staring at a picture of a dead person. <laughs> yes. Right. Like how do you really get something out of it? That's what I, that's what I want to know. Yes. So I think uh, a couple points. 
it's from an ancestral healing. I think we talked about it last time too. You don't have to take up that mantle. If that is not for you, if you're looking at it and you were disgusted, then don't. If you find that there is, you know, um, and maybe part of your ancestry are a bunch of dick bags and you don't want to engage with them, you don't have to. Um, but I do think there is benefit when we start to engage with them that healing can be done. It does not change anything that they have done prior. Um, but I think there can be some reconciliation, even if it's just within us, um, of acknowledging it, um, potentially offering, uh, you know, while we offer our energy and interest as we engage them for healthy and well ancestors to maybe take up the mantle with, with other ancestors who maybe are not quite elevated, are not in a good space, um, there is potential for, for shifting to happen there. So I guess that's one of the reasons why uh, it, it is appealing to me to engage. And I think that there's also interesting, you know, patterns, familial patterns and things that may be showing up um, generationally that can be healed and, and stopped with you. And I think that can be dealt with in a psychological way, but engaging with the ancestors can bring even more power and punch to it um, and healing, you know, backwards and forwards and all the things. So um, I think it's worth it, but I don't think you have to do it. I think you don't have to be, you know, you want to be in the right place. Um, I don't think you want to, you know, completely self-flagellate. I don't think we want to, you know, at the same time dismiss the uh, ways that potentially, uh, you know, if we, we seek back and look into our ancestry that, you know, doesn't forgive, um, but maybe there's some, uh, you know, acknowledgement uh, or healing that can come, even if it's just within you, uh, you know, acknowledging what came before and that you are different than that and that you are carrying, you know, things forward in a different way. So there's that. And then my, I lost my brain for the other part. What was I going with it? Um, oh, how do we not stare at a picture and, you know, engage the ancestors? So two kind of ways you can just, you can call on your healthy and well ancestors in spirit um, to kind of guide you and aid you. And when I'm, you know, actually, when I was talking about the divination, that's who I'm calling on. Um, so it is kind of the collective. It's not like great grandmother, you know, Eva Mae Collins, I would like you to, you know, be present and uh, you know, answer this one question for me. Um, so I'm kind of relying on the ancestral wisdom that is there, the collective experience. Um, so I think that is a pow powerful way to work with it um, if you are looking for guidance in your own life. But then you can also, you know, um, specifically, you know, if you have a, an ancestor that had a particular area of expertise calling on them can be beneficial too. Um, and healing wise, I think, I, I don't want to talk about the same thing we talked about before. I probably talked about nurses just knowing myself um, and that they are still, uh, you know, wise people to call upon if you are going through your own healing journey, or if you are in a pandemic, you can call to your ancestors that survived the 1919, you know, Spanish influenza or the plague, or, you know, as far back as you want to go, there is gnosis, there is wisdom, potentially, uh, you know, there is a connection at least in your blood to experiences that came before. And there might be something that you can, um, that may be of aid to you that comes through when you sit to meditate, when you sit to seek them out, um, when you sit, when you sit to listen to them, um, or even just asking for that sign, uh, you know, signs for what you need to kind of do next on your path. So it can be kind of in that direct way, or it can be a little bit more synchronistic um, in the way you engage them. Did that answer the question? Sorry. I tangent. Yes, absolutely. No, it's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Uh, okay. So that takes us through the third part of the book. I warned you it was going to be a lot of content. You didn't actually believe me. You thought, oh, sure, Devin, whatever. No, it was a lot. And and we just spent an hour and 20 minutes together with Danielle talking about her incredible book. 
magical mediumship, and I am so excited to say that there's a little bit more coming. So yeah, Podmas is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, once again, this was provided to us by the incredible folks over at the Modern Witch Patreon. Uh, absolutely incredible. You can check out check out the Modern Witch Patreon if you're on Patreon by just going and searching for Modern Witch Official, and then you'll see me, and you'll see the cool things. You can get like the subscription box and the different types of memberships. It's all very cool. There's all the good stuff is there. Um, and yeah, and if not, you can just go to modernwitch.com. It's really that easy. Just modernwitch.com and everything Modern Witch related is all in one place, including recommendations and all kinds of good stuff. So if you're out there and you're like, hey, I'm a modern witch and I don't know what to do, go to modernwitch.com because we've got you covered. Uh, once again, thank you so much to everyone at the Modern Witch Patreon. I love you. I really appreciate the support. And I'm so glad that you're with me on this incredible journey. To everyone else, I hope that you check us out over at the Modern Witch Patreon and at ModernWitch.com. Once again, this is Podmas, and you're listening to the Modern Witch Podcast. I'm Devin Hunter. There are forces at work here, dark, incomprehensible forces.